Welcome to One Great Conversation. Recently, we had the pleasure of hosting Stephen McGowan on our podcast. He is the longest held Al-Qaeda captive in the world, spending nearly six years in the Sahara Desert before his eventual release. As you can imagine, his whole world changed through his exposure to the militant group that held him captive for all those years. We had the privilege of hearing his experiences firsthand, how we can turn adversity into opportunities for growth and not falling into the victim mentality that creates potential roadblocks. It was inspiring and mind-blowing to hear such a unique story that I wouldn't otherwise have been exposed to in my day-to-day life and surely impacted me deeply that I definitely see the world a little differently now. I hope that you get as much from it as I did, if not more. Enjoy. So I really appreciate that you've come on to One Great Conversation in such short notice, Steve. It's really exciting. That's an absolute pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) That's an absolute pleasure. I know we both had such short notice. I got like two days notice and you got like 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very grateful. So basically starting from the top, what's one thing that kept you going? There in the Sahara during my, my six years incarceration. I think... You know, everybody would sort of go back to the thing that's saying basically it's hope. Hope mm-hmm. keeps you going. But I, it certainly was hope in the early days. But I suppose as time goes by, you start to be realistic about things in the desert and or things in life, I suppose. And you realize that you can't live on hope alone. Obviously, it's important to manage your attitude and maintain it, mm-hmm. you know, maintain your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really believe in at the end of the day, it's about, you know, being true to yourself and finding value in what's exactly in front of you on a daily basis. Um, is life more than that actually? Because life is really just a journey. I mean, we all are born, we're all going to pass away at some stage and we can trip over a hurdle early days and say, well, this is too much for me or I give up right here. And mm-hmm. then you've basically lost the rest of the run. Mm-hmm. And actually at the end of the day, you know, who wins? Is it the person, you know, if, is the person with the most money, the person with what wins? I honestly believe if you can find value in every single day, if you can find value in what's in front of you, because we're all going to have tough days. I mean, we know that. That's not coming to a close at all. <laughs> ever. You know, that's, yeah. ever. I mean, if, whatever we've had, we can expect another five or 10 or 20 before, before you know, in the next, in the next couple of years. So true. So really, it's just about, you know, creating the story, creating the story in your life and actually trying to see the best in every story because we're all going to have tough stories, mm-hmm. but see the best in it and learn from it and, um, yeah, you know, be able to smile when you when you speak about it and actually try and be positive in life. I think that's, for me, the essence of it, you know, maintaining your attitude and trying to see the best in, in every situation. Because no doubt, we all have similar situations. <laughs> yes, one way or another. I mean, yeah. they're all have similar stuff. I mean, we're all human, yeah. we all have difficult times, but it's yeah. about trying to see the best in it. That's what dif- differentiates all of us, really, is how you come away from a tough situation. Do you Do you wallow? Poor me, my life is so horrible. Or do you actually, you know, do I play victim? Is the world is the world against me? Of course the world's not against you. Life happens. So it's about just picking yourself up and taking control of your life and maintaining your attitude and pushing on is what I believe. That was an amazing, <laughs> amazing response. And I think that really also aligns with here we talk about how we're the creators of our own reality. So that I think will add so much value to our listeners. Creators of your, of, your, of your own reality. Yes. I mean, and that is it. Eh? That, I mean, that's the truth. That's it. We, we choose our paths. Eh? Life's a choice at the end of the day. And in the desert, was there an element of teamwork or necessity for leadership skills to get through the day-to-day sort of happenings? Yeah. 
absolutely. I mean, we were only three prisoners who were kidnapped at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it was strange because one of our prisoners just decided that he would be the leader. Just decided. Oh, I am going to guide this. You stepped in. I okay. have a well, I have a better idea. I have a better idea than both of you. So rather than me being elected in or chosen in or supported, I'm just deciding that I'm going to be the leader. In, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it didn't work. Okay? I was going to say, it seems like no, you have an no, <laughs> opinion of it, this. It absolutely didn't work. And I was like, well, who elected you to be our leader? We didn't go through an interview process. You didn't come out and say, this oh, is your funny. kidnapping and come and join my team within the kidnapping. No, it was we all ended up in this. And you just decided that you would be the self-elected leader, like a dictatorship. Yeah, anyway, didn't work at all. <laughs> didn't work at all. So so I think what I, well, I mean, regarding leadership, I thought, I think what really resonated with me with regards to leadership, what I learned about leadership is so much about self-leadership, guiding yourself and almost leading by example. Mm. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And, you know, hopefully people will sign up, be on board for it and respect you enough to want to follow you, not because they're told that you're, you cannot get respect from being told so that true. this is what I am. Doesn't work. So it was self-leadership and sort of almost picking a higher, a higher moral objective. Mm -hmm. I thought was important. And if you believe in something strong enough, you know, you will want to go and get it. And if you can speak positively about, positively about it, people will want to come on board and want to follow you. Common objective. So I also realized the importance of that was when I say higher moral, you know, code, what have mm. you, it's about treating people around you as well with respect because no one likes to be bullied or told what to do. And the minute you can win somebody over, the minute somebody actually sort of appreciates you and likes you and wants to be near you with that, that's when you create your team and that's when you can really change the world, I believe. Mm. You know, it's important, my desert takeaways, know who you are and be good to people because it, with those two things, like I say, you can change the world. You can lead your army and change the world. I really didn't expect, I mean, I should have known, but I didn't expect that I would already be getting so much from yourself in this podcast like you've already <laughs> given so much valuable content I just normally I have something to say back but yeah I don't I don't think I would be adding anything if I respond to be honest <laughs> so when you were released what type of because you would have been through a lot what type of practices did you implement to help you work through your emotions and experiences when you assimilated back into real life I would say like back into the world? It was quite a dance when I came out of the desert because I'd spent a lot of time in the desert getting to know myself, mm -hmm. obviously. Like I say, it was out of necessity because we weren't a team. So I had to get to know myself, to lead myself, that I could actually, you know, try and make relatively educated decisions. The decisions that I could believe in and if the decisions didn't play out the way I wanted them to play out, then I almost had to take responsibility for the decision and the consequence. So you, you spend a lot of time sort of getting to know who you are, trusting your decisions and trusting the outcome. And if the outcome didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out, you would have to have the confidence and believe in yourself to know that you could then change the decision halfway down the process and find a new path which would hopefully work out. So you basically, you know, realign yourself during during the process. I think when I came out, that was a huge, geez, I say that inverted commas, a huge skill of a skill, something which I learned. Mm -hmm. And I, I say skill, I mean, I, 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 it's not meant to sound arrogant at all. It was something which I which worked for me in the desert, you know, being able to trust in myself and believe in myself. But the downside from that was that I became I became an island, if you like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to take on other people's opinions because, sure. because I knew my opinion would work for me and taking on other people's opinions like I did in the desert often resulted in downside for me. And that was a life and death decision. So I sort of got a bit thick skinned off the back of that. 
And that then became a huge challenge of mine to soften up from that perspective and to Mm. allow people closer and to allow and to force myself to actually listen to people's opinions and uh, be they good, be they bad, Mm. you know, irrelevant. It's It's a matter of me connecting with the guys around me and listening to them and letting, you know, they trying to help. Listen mm. to them and let them see that they're trying to add value and appreciate from where it's coming. So I had to make a decision to let guys in. But also the things that I did continue when I came out of the desert was I realized, I mean, and I suppose in the corporate world, this can almost be controversial, but the world's changed. So actually it's not so controversial. It was about life balance. Yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. in the old days. Life balance. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> back in the old days. It's I think, polarizing topic. <laughs> oh, gracious. Back in the old days when I was working in banking, life wasn't about balance. It was mm. literally about achieving your goal for the day, whether you leave it, well, not leave it four o'clock in the afternoon because you don't ever leave it four o'clock in the afternoon. No. It's whether it's six o'clock or whether it's nine o'clock at night yeah. that you leave, you know, and there was no balance in that and you end up compromising yourself in every shape and form. So I, when I came out of the desert, it was really was about time management and being strict with myself mm-hmm. uh, and trying to keep the balance and making sure that I had time, time for my family, time for myself, mm. time for my exercise. Mm. You know, so exercise is so important to keep you happy. And then of course, time for work, because I mean, it's so important that we do engage our brain and I our mind so. in things around us. I mean, the desert, hanging out in the desert where there was early days, close to zero mental stimulation to the point. That's crazy. One day I started counting sand. I literally started counting sand. I thought, well, you know, I'm here for a while. One cubic meter of sand, let's start. It it, it only lasted about a minute, actually. And then I was like, unrealistic. (laughs) It seemed like a good idea at the time, I'm sure. (laughs) So I ended up multiplying it out. I was like, right here. So, okay, one piece of sand is one millimeter by one millimeter, you know, times that per square centimeter per cubic meter. And it was a a trillion or something, you know, I I would have. So, yeah. (laughs) So I realized, you know, how important it is to actually have mental engagements and stuff. So Mm. when I came out of the desert, I threw myself back into the real world. And a lot of people actually asked me, did you actually take time for yourself when you came out of this mm. to try and normalize, to try and, you know, figure out who you are, understand what you've been through? And I didn't actually. I came out of the desert and I think within within a week, once, well, it took a while for media to settle down. But within probably, yeah, within a week, within 10 days, I was starting to get into work. And I was mm. joining my father within his company. And I maintained going for a jog every afternoon. My plan was Come 4 p.m., come hello high water. <laughs> You're going to leave, sure. <laughs> the computer gets closed and I'm out of here because I'm going to go for a walk or a jog with my wife and that's my time. So I'm happy to get up early, but the afternoons are my time. Mm. But my father, he was in his early 70s at the time. He would wake up a bit late and uh, he would start his day around 10 o'clock in the morning and then I'd get a call nice. saying, hey, listen, um, hop past four, we're going to have a meeting with so-and-so. And I'm like, uh-uh, that's my time. And it lasted probably for about two, three months. And my father didn't change. And eventually, I mean, I started to soften my my Your hard boundary, yep. And it got soft. And, and then I started working later. And then I thought, I'm not happy. And I thought I better reinstate that and be, you know, if we're going to have a meeting, it's at 10 o'clock in the morning. Perfect. End of story. It must be a morning yeah. meeting. The afternoons are my time. I don't want to compromise that. So that was very important, I think, to try and maintain yeah. my, my balance and and to try and soften with people around me and let people in, but also to maintain who I was and what was important for me and maintain my mindset. Because if you know who you are and you place yourself around good people, you change the world. Definitely. And that actually goes into my next question. I'm glad that that went so smoothly. Holding things lightly, so not being attached, that's something that we're talking quite a lot 
about here at Luxes. So is this also something that you've been aligning with? It seems like you are. Why do you think that's important? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Gee, was that was almost my motto, if you like, prior, prior to the kidnapping. And after the kidnapping, probably something similar. Prior to the kidnapping, <clears throat> when I was living in London, I used to, I used to say to my wife, what, what you can't carry in your rucksack, you probably shouldn't own. Hmm. I mean, that's, you know, and then we bought a flat screen TV. And <laughs> You're that like, that doesn't fit. <laughs> and that didn't fit. And then we started collecting rubbish. Sure. But I mean, the truth is, you know, if you're going to go and travel the world, travel light, eh? travel light. And I, and I certainly still believe in this. The more you own, the more you have to worry about, the more you have to lose. If you have 10 dogs, you can't go on holiday because you need it's a true. dog sitter. If you have five cars, well, you know, it's, it's more insurances mm -hmm. and then everything breaks in this world and then you've got five yep. cars with broken windows or flat tires or whatever it is the more you have the more the more the more stress there is mm. travel light keep it simple and I, I i find you know why must we why do we have to go to a fancy looking house and have a fancy dinner when we can literally throw a blanket under your arm and go and have a picnic in a park and sit down with your friends and have finger food Exactly. You know, it's, it's more about the experience, isn't it? Experience and the conversation. Mm. It's about people around you. And um, the minute we start judging our friends by how much money they earn, you know, or what, the, uh, it's ridiculous. The content, and you probably the won't have friends if you start judging them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we start, yes, absolutely. Hey? But, but it's the content. I mean, it's the content of yeah. the people that you're around, which really mm. matters. Definitely. I mean, in the desert, I had nothing, absolutely nothing. And Al-Qaeda, some of those guys had absolutely nothing. And But yet when you got involved in the conversation and the different cultures and you started to learn what they knew, the conversation was just so interesting. You that's know? what, in your book, you, that's how basically you got through your day-to-day. -day. You, you were curious about them. You were learning their language. You were learning their faith. And that's how you connected right fascinating yeah. it was absolutely fascinating i mean certainly in the early days i was scared i was going to be executed and when i realized like you know i couldn't really impact that and I, that i had to actually put that worry aside and try and focus on what i could change that mm. was when i started to actually focus on i was kidnapped as a tourist i decided if they're not going to kill me i'm going to continue to live this as a tourist and try and take, make the most out of my kidnapping yeah. and live it and that's what i did and that's why conversations with these guys when i could eventually try and understand them conversations about the the animals in the sahara the lifestyles digging a well the challenges the food the locations in the sahara is just so huge i mean no real westerner ever gets to go and see these places i've met people mm. in the sahara who literally hadn't seen another person for about a year or two years and they wow. had never seen somebody like who was of european descent you know somebody who was white literally they looked at the, a white person and they were like what on earth is yeah. this you know it's like going to the zoo and some yeah. funny exotic animals sitting in a cage you know and you could see by the expressions on their faces they would look at you like with absolute sort of like in not in not in awe but in fascination yeah. as, to, as to what is this and i mean and it's obvious those guys still run around on camels and they can't travel huge distances. Mm. I mean, Al-Qaeda with their, with their vehicles, they can. But the rest of them, the other um, people, yeah. they're not the poor guys, guys who, who really are just living from day to day, you know. They hadn't never had integration with other people or seen other people because it's just so remote. Sahara is massive. It is just so remote. Yeah. That sounds amazing to be able to, I guess, what you've spoken about, see so much of that, like try and have an experience out of what you went through and see the beauty in where you were, the animals, the culture, that sort of thing. Like you weren't ignorant to that. It was part of the stuff yeah. that grounded me. Yeah. Actually, it was part of the, you know, I found, I found in things I could relate to, I found normality. In things I couldn't relate to, you know, 
that was slightly beyond my comprehension, like Al Qaeda with their guns. You know, the, yeah, that's the, hard the, to relate to. The, the absolute killing of <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and that took me, if not years, before my mind could actually try and actually understand what exactly is going on here. Mm. My mind wouldn't want to go there. It kept sort of like hitting up against it and it would sort of back off and go at a tangent. Yeah. ADHD kicked in in a massive way. And I, I just I just couldn't go there. As much as I'd force myself in, I couldn't go there. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And when we talk about roadblocks, I know that we sometimes face them ourselves, but we see them, you know, play out in society. People say they can't do something because they don't have this resource or they don't have the latest computer or they don't have whatever it is that they don't have that they can't achieve their goal what would you say to those self-imposed roadblocks that people put in for themselves yeah and they are self-imposed because i mean if you take us back to look to the caveman days and you look at where we are now there was development there you know things have changed since mm. since drag since rolling a rock in front of <laughs> yeah. your cave i mean here we are now and living in the sahara was almost like going back to caveman days two guys two thousand years ago where you know where people thought the world was flat and all these kind of yeah, things. yeah i heard that that they have mm. those beliefs mm, no they do they do they think wow. the world's flat yeah they do i mean not all of them few of them went to school a lot of them thought the world was flat and then i come along and say no, guys, it's round. You changed their whole world. <laughs> well, I almost changed my own world because then they would look at me and say, Radio, you, you're some kind of a witch. We should probably stone you to death. And I was like, whoa, hang oh, on. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't speak too quickly, but is anybody in this group, has anybody here gone to school? Maybe someone can defend me. And then some guy would say, oh, actually, I went to school and the world is round. And I go, shoo. Yeah, I was just, say, <laughs> I've just God. saved myself from execution. But yeah, like we used to dig around through Al-Qaeda's rubbish, you know, every time we changed camps, Al Qaeda, it would, it would look like a, a tip, like a bomb had been off. There was just rubbish everywhere in the Sahara. The, the Sahara, the world's biggest dustbin, really. Yeah. Yeah, which I battled with. But every time we changed camps, and we'd pack up, the, we'd pack up a grass hut, mm -hmm. and we'd bury all the kitchen stuff. Mm -hmm. Once the once the grass hut had been basically moved and dismantled, and the grass thrown around to blow away in the Sahara, we would then walk around picking up their rubbish. Mm -hmm. I mean for ourselves so you'd go then you'd pick up pieces of paper and that would become your writing material you'd pick up pieces of shamber pieces of inner tube mm -hmm. and you would then cut that into strips and that became like elastic bands and that would become stuff that you would use i tried to create a windmill out of a big pen and a compressor pipe Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's but, creative. <laughs> but it was fantastic. Yeah. And the whole idea of creating this this windmill was that during Ramadan, when we were fasting, I thought I could put my five liter bucket of water next to me. Yeah. I could put my windmill and it would be a dinky windmill. I mean, it would only be the length of a big pen and yeah. then a couple of blades on top, you know, to spin. Yeah. I could put that on the roof of my hut and I would then have this pipe coming down into my five liter water bottle and I could suck it up and then I would have a shower system above my head. Oh, wow. So in the compressor pipe I'll then poke holes and I thought during because when I was in the desert Ramadan was always during um, during summer oh, and it was hot yeah. so I thought I could create an indoor irrigation system and I could sit I could sit in, so cool. sit in my hut <laughs> and I could have this irrigation system blowing and, and drizzling water on my head yeah. for the next five hours just to keep me cool so yeah I mean look there's a, there's a way and a means hey, to absolutely everything so we shouldn't be we are only bound by our own imagination mm. um, I wanted to create a kite 
I learned how to make rope out of grass. And I thought I could make grass, you know, grass rope and then create yeah. a kite out of a sugar sack. I stopped in the end because I because I thought Al-Qaeda would be a bit upset if we're all sitting in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Making kites. And next thing is a kite <laughs> flying 200 meters above True. the camp. Because oh, would that get people's attention? Yeah, yeah, potentially. Okay. If someone comes past, they'll see this this thing floating in the sky because no one knows what a kite is. They would wow. think there's like ghosts and goblins and demons running around the Sahara, this thing hanging in the air. So I scrapped it, but it was it was quite a fun project when it lasted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So basically, as you said, our imagination is the only limit. Yeah, basically. We can, yeah. You need looking at a bit of raw, raw product, but you can even create the raw product sometimes. And last question. Turning challenges into opportunity for growth. What's your method for making sense of tough times and seeing the good in it? Turning challenges into good. I would say um, questioning, questioning process is good. Mm-hmm. You know, people always say that this is the way it is done and that's the way to do it. It's not always the best way. It's not always, I mean, it was probably thought out at some stage because of a certain set of criteria, but criteria changes and the process doesn't change. Mm. So it's often about actually questioning everything you do and say, well, why on earth do we spend five hours doing something when we could spend 30 minutes doing it? What are all these other bits and pieces? Are we wasting our time? Mm. So, yeah, and often we'd look at Al-Qaeda's process and you'd look at this and you'd think, wow, you guys – Really, things can be done very differently. <laughs> and then and then we would try something differently. And sometimes they would even look at us and then take on what we were saying. Would they? Yeah, sometimes. But also then you also realize you need good management because sometimes, well, with them, everybody thought they had a better idea and nobody ever took the – well, everybody took the initiative to try and, and change something. And then you had 20 different ideas running parallel and generally it ended up as an absolute mess. And, I mean, and like I say, things were very, very simple there in the Sahara. So – you know, we, we didn't have much. So to, to give a story off the back of this little situation, what happened was um, we had the Sahara's hot, car batteries don't survive. Okay, mm. a car battery lasts a year, the heat then destroys a car battery. Wow. So our Land Cruiser utes, we would have these things and next thing they stop working and then you can't start it. So then you've got to start pull starting it with the other vehicle. And we had this one particular vehicle and we were in quite a a sand dune area. There was a lot of sand dunes, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of ups and downs. And fortunately, we had parked on top of a sand dune. And at the bottom of the sand dune was this big open area, almost like a coliseum, a big flat area. Oh, wow. oh no, amazing. The Sahara's got incredible vistas. And we were parked on top of this thing, and Al-Qaeda then decided, look, we've got to get this car to work. But now what we're going to do is we're going to have to first start it, and then we must go buy a battery, what have you. So now, because it's so up and down hilly, we can't pull start the vehicle from up here. We're going to just run it down the hill and um, drop it into gear, and off we're going to go. And we're going to just you know drop the clutch, and we're going to get this thing going. Mm-hmm. Fine, on paper, it sounds great. Parked on top of the hill, so we've got to push it off the edge of the hill. So we've got like six or seven guys behind the vehicle, including me, pushing this vehicle. Big debate from Al-Qaeda, who's going to be the driver? Eventually, this one guy decides he is the driver, so he's going to drive this vehicle. He knows how to drive. He hops inside, and we start pushing, and it's thick sand, and we're pushing, and the vehicle's edging forward. And eventually, the vehicle gets to the edge of the sand dune, and we push him off the edge. And then... (laughs) And then nothing happens. And the car just goes and goes and goes and goes. And eventually, eventually, eventually he's, he stops. And we're like, what the hell's going on here? He said, no, 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 I didn't turn on the ignition. So I was like, all right, well, that's the first problem. And the second problem was because the car was moving, I couldn't get it into second gear because now the, now the gearbox is moving. So you then say, well, look, somebody here needs to manage the situation. 
For starters, turn the car, turn the ignition on. Yeah. Put the car in gear and put <laughs> yes. the clutch in. And then once you're moving, <laughs> drop the clutch. And it ended up being such a disaster because he ended oh. up getting to the bottom of the hill God. and the car hadn't started. And now what happened was we had this big coliseum open area and they then went and got three camels and they tied these camels to the front of the car to use it like, like donkeys or like cattle to really pull start oh, the car damn. now. And then what happened was, and I sat there just laughing on top of the I'd hill. I'd be laughing. I mean, I, I tell you, I sat on top, of the, on top of the sand dune thinking, what a bunch of idiots. They spent the next two hours hitting these two camels, making the camels gallop while they were pulling the car around this Colosseum. And they spent two hours dragging the car in a circle around the Colosseum. So they got nowhere. Oh, I mean, after two hours, they got the car to start. I don't know how they got to start, but I then went off and I said, you guys are a bunch of twits. Went back to my hut and sat there and thought, you guys need solid leadership. Yes, <laughs> Someone needs yes. to take initiative here. Yeah. 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 Having a good leader is important is what I get from this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gee, was, oh, my goodness. Thank they you. all thought they were good leaders. Oh, I but bet. actually all of them were ignorant to what was actually required. Yes. Yeah, so being present, being present to what's in front of you. Yeah. 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 Wow. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate such, such a good chat on such short notice. And I know that our listeners will get so much from it. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for getting me and lovely to meet you. No worries. <laughs> yeah, you too. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Great Conversation, brought to you by Lux's Greats. We hope you gain some valuable insights that you can implement into your personal and professional life. Please share this episode with others who you think may be interested in this topic. If there's something you'd like covered in future episodes, drop us a line in the comment section or send us a message on social media. To stay up to date with new episodes and to help support One Great Conversation, please subscribe or follow us on your favourite streaming platform.